Guys, I'd like for us to do this morning as we get underway. It's on the screen. Ed's going to coach us through it. Insights for the weekend. Let's, if you would, just join me in repeating each phrase that follows. Since the fall, God has understood our need. (laughs) Oops. Understood our need. Put Satan under our feet. Erased our sin. Removed the law against us. Based upon his grace. Offering this freely to everyone. We must accept his offer. Life eternal restore. Amen. And a quick, quick little review here. We probably won't be able to say them all, but, you know, just to remind ourselves. Gotcha. Okay, on the count of three, I want, to, want you to just yell right out on the count of three, the team you're rooting for today. One, two, three. It's the same every year. It's the same every year. The Dodgers. The Yankees. Some of us are a little out of touch. Wow, 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 wow. It's my, and I don't know this for sure. Maybe someone would wave at me and tell me the truth here. Uh, facts. I understand that both quarterbacks are believers. One of them, we know one of them is. Okay. Well, that's good. I thought both of them were. Maybe it was. Maybe that was in the college playoffs. That both. Yeah. So, imagine that. You say, "Good morning, brother. I'm going to bash you today." All the, down on the line. I prayed for you this morning. <laughs> Boom! Wow. What a game, huh? What a game. I'm going to put this down. It feels like somebody's standing behind me. They're looking over my shoulder. Turn with me this morning to James. I'm going to talk about making good decisions. I believe this is a message that can help us today and help you. In the times we're in, you have to make quite a few decisions, don't we? We're faced with lots of things. We live in a culture that provides us with choices non-stop. Non-stop choices. Because of that, I want to say thank you that uh, you chose to be here this morning. You could have made a lot of other choices. I bet it's beautiful down on the lakeside. I bet you there's plenty of Sunday brunches you could be at. Well, I shouldn't bring those up and make you hungry, probably. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, starting right at the beginning of the letter, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, Lacking nothing. 
And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Making good decisions. A decision is an opportunity that you have to determine your destiny. In fact, your decisions determine your destiny. Some of you remember, I know it's the wrong game, wrong season, but Yogi Berra. By the greatest catcher of all time with the Yankees. Almost all his career. Still alive today, 84 years old. Who gave us this bit of wisdom, as he was known for, when it comes to decision making. He said, when you come to a fork in the road... Take it. (laughs) The guy was brilliant. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. It's not really the picture of decision making we want to have. Because we understand when we come to those forks in the road, whether it's in our mind or in the natural or a long-term decision we're making, that the decision we make determines our destiny. The longer that you vacillate in a decision, the fewer the options become and the weaker you become. In 1 Kings 18, there's the rehearsal of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Also, there's 450 prophets of Baal and there's 400 prophets of Asherah. 850 false prophets representing false gods and idols on one side and one prophet of God on the other. And it's we call it the showdown at Mount Carmel. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, briefly it goes like this. You can read it in full, I hope, 1 Kings 18 and thereabouts. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. And Elijah calls the false prophets to show up on Mount Carmel. And... Uh, They're going to put up a sacrifice, and he's going to put up a sacrifice. Then they're going to call on God and see who answers by fire. He gives the prophets of Baal the first shot, and they go all day, and they're cutting themselves and bleeding and yelling and screaming, and Elijah's over on the side saying, maybe you need to yell a little louder. Perhaps he's asleep. He may be on vacation. He may be out on the back nine golfing or something. Uh, You know, give it a little more effort. And they they try all day, and he finally says, you've had your turn. It's time for the evening sacrifice. He comes, he lays everything out. I won't go into that detail, but then he prays, and fire falls from heaven. and consumes the sacrifice, and all the way down to licking the dust off the ground. Right before that happened, he said this to the people of Israel who had been vacillating, been double-minded about who they were going to serve, He said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Unfortunate part, the end of the verse says, but the people did not answer him a word. 
They had vacillated so long between the two, they weren't going to make a commitment. Their options were running out. There's only two choices left. And then when they're presented with a decision moment, they don't respond. You ever been in that predicament? You came to the fork in the road and you didn't take it. You couldn't take it. Your options had reduced to way down to where you thought you had. Well, the interesting part at the end of that story is that the fire fell and consumed the sacrifice. And as soon as that happened, all of the children of Israel fell on their faces on the ground and began to shout out, The Lord, He's God. The Lord, He's God. The Lord, He's God. They were convinced. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, we've come to the end of a book uh, in this um, chapter where the rehearsal of the law has been made by Moses to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy is the second reading of the law, the reestablishing of the law, before he turns the leadership of the nation over to Joshua. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, he's just rehearsed for them the blessings and the cursings that would come upon them. If they followed the Lord, all these blessings would come upon them. If they they didn't obey the commandments of God, then all these curses would come upon them. And he sums it up in chapter 30 and verse 19 when he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him, for He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. We're constantly brought to places where we must make decisions. If we turn just to the next book, Joshua, he's had the leadership of the nation, taking them in to possess the land of Canaan. And by the time we get to chapter 24, famous passage for most of us, he's reestablishing the covenant with the people of Israel at Shechem. And he tells them to put away their idols, which is amazing that they've carried these idols with them for a couple of generations, even after fire and Miracles in the deserts and uh, bread and manna for 40 years and, and they still got their idols. But Joshua charges them as reestablishing the covenant with them as a people group and he says in verse 15, If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Make a choice. One good decision could get you started out of the mess of a bunch of bad decisions. One good decision could reroute your life if it's been a series of bad decisions. Let me draw this picture. Look at all the bad decisions I made. I can share them with you, but take too long. But by the time I was just a teenager, I'd made plenty of them. I like to joke around and at that time in my life to say this. and It's true, but it's kind of humorous now that I knew all the sheriffs on a first-name basis. 
You know, I could wave at them, pull them over, talk to them, knew about their families. They knew all about me. And it was like they were just waiting. <laughs> and then Jesus came and gave me the opportunity to decide for or against him as Savior. And that one decision turned all the other bad decisions in the right direction and began reforming a life. I use myself as an example, but I'm sure you can use yours. One good decision can get you started out of the mess of many bad decisions. And your life today, think about this, is the sum total of all of your decisions. Good, bad, or none. Now I realize that on a topic like this, there are some whose decisions were not theirs, perhaps from birth. They were given a decision. Something happened to them and they were brought into the world. Perhaps it was a deformity or some kind of a halting problem in them. And that was not their decision. But as soon as they could begin to make decisions, they can change things, can't they? And we we look at those. So I'm just telling you that decision making, if it's this powerful, then we ought to learn how to make good ones. I look at these young people that are with us this morning. And uh, I don't know if you made a decision to come this morning, if somebody else made it for you. But I'm glad you're here because you of all the generations we've ever seen, are faced with the most decision-making processes of any generation. The choices that are laid before you every single day are so multitudinous. There's a word to spell. That, uh, that is, yeah, write that down. That was a good one. Um, that it's hard. In fact, you are pushed upon to make decisions rapidly, all the time, rapidly, rapidly. So this challenge is for you. You should learn how to make good decisions today. This will help you. What is a good decision? Well, we're going to come from a pretty narrow point of view probably. In fact, I I went on the Internet. and Of course, you can believe everything you find on the Internet. There's amazing things out there. But I just typed into the Google search decision-making to see what would come back knowing that we were going to minister this message. My, 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 my stuff comes back. Everybody's got an opinion about making decisions. There's studies and there's groups and there's nonprofits and there are whole organizations that are dedicated to nothing but figuring out how to make decisions. University studies and all kinds of stuff. So I, I didn't try to print all of them, but I grabbed this one. Anybody know where Santa Clara University is? You went there? You attended there? That was a trick question, wasn't it? It's kind of like asking, where was Paul going on the road to Damascus? You attended Santa Clara. How about that? Well, congratulations. Your, your university wins the prize today. I found on their website uh, a study on ethical decision-making. And it struck me. I began to read it. And this is just page two of a brochure they have for that. And... As I was reading the content, something caught my attention. That was they were focusing on ethical decision-making, making good choices, making right decisions based on ethics. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Except it falls short. 
it falls just a little short because even under their statement, and they had a great group of people listed who got together and talked about the topic and what's going to be our results and what are we going to produce in our study. And I mean, they just hammered out. You know they were in a room drinking lots of coffee and doing stuff for days, maybe even weeks before they came to conclusions that they could publish. But one of the statements in their longer study that supported this little document here was that ethical decisions are not necessarily religious ones. They're ethical. And I went, distinction, fork in the road. Here's something I have to deal with. They presented five approaches to decision making. The utilitarian approach. Which option will produce the most good and do the least harm? Good ethical approach. The rights approach. These are the questions that would go along with these different approaches. Which option best respects the rights of all who have a stake? Let's consider everybody. The rights approach. We all have rights. I like the song we sing that says, I'm laying down my rights. (laughs) The justice approach. Which option treats people equally or proportionately? The common good approach. Which option best serves the community as a whole, not just some members? And the final one here, the virtue approach. And I thought, oh, got pretty close there, virtue. You're getting close to Jesus in here somewhere. Which option leads me to act, and this was kind of self-defeating for me. I was going, oh. Which option leads me to act as the sort of person I want to be? There's a lot of I in here. Good ethics, not a bad series of approaches. I'm not, I'm not going up against your university today and tell them I know more than they do. I'm just saying that you can go out there and ask for lots of opinions in the world, and there are plenty. But when it comes down to making a good decision, number one, a good decision is based on the wisdom of Scripture. Number one, good decision-making is based on the wisdom of Scripture. We cross a line as believers to say, I'm going to depend on what God said more than what anybody else says. In fact, in that passage we read just now in James chapter 1, there's a point right there, verse 5, where it says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. Just ask God for it. He gives it liberally, and he doesn't hold anything back. You can ask him, and he'll tell you, God, I need wisdom here. Boy, stories just flood through my mind, and it's so... Tempting to go chasing them. <laughs> like the one where the guy ran his truck under the bridge, the big, you know, semi truck, and <clears throat> stuck it under the bridge right next to the, the uh, hospital, the, this insane hospital. And they're all standing around, police, fire, everybody's looking at this thing, and the guy on the other side of the fence says, Why don't you let some air out of the tires? <laughs> They'll wake up, let some air out of the tires, back the truck out. And they said, what are you doing in there? Seemed to be a pretty wise way. He said, well, I'm in here because I'm crazy, not because I'm stupid. <laughs> well, I guess there's a difference. But wisdom comes from the Word of God. Primarily, ask of God. He'll give it to you. You may not remember the message, but you'll probably always remember that joke. 
Number two, a good decision is based on the witness of the Spirit. The witness of the Spirit. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, it says, And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. 1 John 1, 6. It's the Spirit that bears witness, a little bit of out of context, but it is a phrase about the Holy Spirit, which you can find in John chapter 14 as well. But the Spirit is truth. There's a good decision-making process. Let the Spirit bear witness. Number three, a good decision is not hasty or fearful. You know, you're, you're being hasty when you act before you have all the facts. Or if you're acting fearfully, you'll probably refuse to take any action at all because you're afraid of how it's going to work out. Hasty decisions without the facts. You probably made a couple of them. Illustrations abound. The Holy Spirit is not the hurry spirit. He's eternal. Not only can he see the end from the beginning, he can see it all at once. He doesn't have to move through it in a linear fashion like you do. He doesn't have to get a chronology. He sees it at once. And you ask him for wisdom. You don't have to be in a hurry to respond. Some of the best simple insight I had from my mom. I grew up without a dad, so I got it from my mom. You ever been to a car dealership? Man, do they want you to leave? They know if you leave, you'll have time to think about it. This isn't just my mom's wisdom. I'm sure it's been around for a long time. Sleep on it. Mm -hmm. The counselor of sleep is a great counselor. Wake up. Look at it again in the morning. Does it still look as good? I mean, when you just slipped out of that car and you look back at it, that smell, you couldn't even see the sticker price. Right? Right, mm, boy, it's just my color, and I look good in this, and it's just a mirror, and you're not looking out the window, you're looking at you. And, and uh, that guy or that gal that's on the floor with you knows that if you go home, you, there's a chance you'll change your mind. He doesn't want you to change your mind, nor does he need you to make, or she, to make a great decision. They need to sell a car, and they need to feed their family, and it's important for them that you stay. But... The Holy Spirit is not a hurry spirit. And when decisions come to us, we don't have to act hastily or in fear. So a good decision isn't hasty or fearful. Number four, a good decision is based on core values. Core values. When you know your core values, what are those? Things like honesty, purity, frugality, things of this nature. When you know your core values... And they come from here, the book. About 95% of your decisions are already made. You're not going to have giant decisions to make. They're already made. And oftentimes when the decision comes to you, you can make a judgment right then. Not in a hurry, not fearful, not hasty. It just settles with you what's right and what's wrong. Now, it may be unfortunate, but I, I do speak about my family at times, and it's one of the a pastor's downfalls, picking on his own family in the church. But I use them as a very good illustration this morning, because when 
your children are growing up and you young people, and somebody comes to you and says, so, so what do you want to be when you grow up? Isn't that a common question that we tend to ask younger people? So what do you want to be? We used to coach our family and say, when people ask you that question, here's what you should say. When I grow up, I want to be honest. I want to be filled with integrity. I want to be faithful, loyal, helpful. Things like this are your answer. Because it talks about your character and who you are. It doesn't matter if you're going to be an airline pilot or a jet jockey or a waitress or a a financial advisor. You can bring all of those things to the table with whatever you decide to do or whatever God leads you to do as a living. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be like Sully, who lands airplanes on the Hudson River and saves everybody's life. I want the guy in the front of the plane. When I get on a plane, I like to meet the pilot. I ask, how's your family? I don't know his family. I just want to know if he has one. And if he would like to get home to his wife and children. There's wisdom here. There's wisdom here. I went to Ontario one time. I share this story. Uh, one of those real early morning flights, you know. You just got to get up at 3 in the morning, get to Ontario or whatever. And, you're, and we're, we're loading on the plane. And I happened to be in the juncture where people are going the wrong way. Staff are going out of the plane while I'm coming in. And, and I noticed these things. This was another Yogi Berra. He says, you know, you can, you can observe a lot just by watching. <laughs> and so I began to watch. I thought, this doesn't look right. Something's amiss. And I'm hearing the... The staff inside the plane, as they're saying, good morning, good morning, and all that, they're talking among themselves. They're sort of enlightened, heightened. Turns out that they're sending the pilot home or back to the hotel. Single guy, been up all night partying and drinking. And when he came in, they all went, and said, you're not flying this plane today. And they were waking up the other guy who had the next flight out and said, get him down here. We need a pilot. We need one now. And that guy was down the ramp and off, and I was going, yes. Because I want to know the guy in the front of the plane wants to get home. This guy didn't have a care in life. You know, that kind of guy would say, we're going to all have drinks now. You know, whatever you're drinking, just hold it up, I'll pour it for you. Woohoo! <laughs> no, thank you. When you're, a good decision is based on core values. When you know that you're, when you have your values settled, I'm honest, I'm faithful, I've, I have frugality, I'm, I filled with integrity. The decisions can be already made. Number five, a good decision is something that's based on your calling. Think about this with me for a minute. Your calling. I'm not talking about your work. I'm talking about what God has brought you into the world to do. Your specific reason for being here. You're designed by God. Every young person in this room has a design on their life that's come from a stamp and an imprint from God. I'm not saying they're predestined and there's nothing else that can happen in your life. I'm saying that God has a calling for you and a purpose for you, and He can accomplish it inside whatever work you're doing. If you have a an occupation in the in the world that's not you know full time ministry as we time think, I think everybody's in full time ministry. We're all ministers. We're all called to be representing Him wherever we are and whatever we're doing. If you're a student in school, you're called to represent Christ. If you're a waitress or a, 
as I said before, a, a manager or a real estate salesman, whatever you are, you're, you have a calling on your life that's from God. And He wants to work it out through you. And many of your decisions are going to have to be made based on your calling. Your calling. You know, what might be a good idea for other people will not be a good idea for you. I use myself as an example when I was younger. That was just last week. Uh, no, actually, much younger. A prophetic ministry came to the church and began to prophesy over my life. And as they did, they said, you know, there's a, there's a greater calling on your life. There's a higher call upon your life. I'm separating you to myself. And there's, you know, there's a different future for you than for others. And therefore, you cannot do what others do. And as a young person, you kind of wrestle with those things. Well, what does that mean? And uh, as the calling began to unfold, I taught Sunday school. I worked with youth. I did church books. I mean, I was immersed in the church. And I loved it. When I wasn't at work, I was at the church until I met Peggy. And then I spent a lot of time chasing her. <laughs> but I remember even telling her, if, if, I'm, if I'm not with you, there's only two places or three that you can find me. One is I'll be at work. We know what the hours are. Two is I'll be at home. And three, I'll be at the church. Because my life was in the church. And, and at that time, it was a little different concept. I thought it was at the building, and that was important. But my life is in the church still. And that calling was on my life, and it was unfolding. I would see that on some weekends, a lot of the young people like myself would, you know, pack everything into, into all their wheels and haul off to the river and go water skiing. That was a big deal. And I always felt like I was standing on the front porch of the church waving goodbye to everybody. I was going to be here for the weekend. I'm going to teach my Sunday school class to the fifth graders, and I'm going to be happy, and I'm going to do lead worship. I'm to all, they're going to be all skiing and doing the thing over the river. And I'd watch them go off and do that. And then one weekend, and it only took one. I said, you know what, I'm going to get the weekend off, cover my classes, cover my stuff, and I'm going to go water skiing with them. I'm going to the river, see what this is all about. We hauled over there, and it was, it was so hot. I kept thinking, they like this? It was so hot for me. I was in a lawn chair in the water. At 11 o'clock at night, trying to sleep. And I kept waking up, afraid I was going to drown myself. I mean, I literally had this thing, you know, stretched out in the water. Water up to my neck. and I wasn't getting any rest. It didn't matter what you drank. You could just, I would go like this. I'm not looking at my watch. I drink and the watch it sweat right out my arm. I mean, it was just so unbearable. And I'd look up and everybody's having fun. Everybody's water skiing. I'm going... This is not my calling. I mean, it's not a sinful thing, not a bad thing. It just didn't fit with where I was headed. And a good decision needs to be based on your calling, not popular, not what everybody else does. You have to guard your heart. Well, those are some things about a good decision. What about bad decisions? What's a bad decision? (laughs) At this point in the message, we just take volunteers. Any room, we could all say, well, I'll tell you a bad decision. But as I said earlier, a bad decision is anything based on fear. Fear leads to haste. Haste and fear will lead you to a bad decision. I say it this way, fear is faith going the wrong direction. It's an absolute belief system. I believe that the worst thing is bound to happen. 
I've got all my beliefs heading the wrong direction. Faith believes for the good. Fear drives me to the bad. So a bad decision would be anything based on fear. Number two, a bad decision is anything based on appearance only. You've heard the phrase, perhaps, all that glitters is not gold. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, we have a young lady named Eve. And she looks at the fruit on the tree. And she says, it looks good. It, it appears beautiful. It, 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 it's good fruit to eat and it'll make you wise like God. And she made a choice by appearance only. And where did that lead? To here, today, <laughs> for us. Don't make decisions based on appearance only. A bad decision is anything based on the short term only. You're not thinking long term. You're thinking short term. You're thinking immediacy. Often driven by a desire for some sort of pleasure fulfillment. It's for my pleasure. It's for my good. It's for right now. But you're not thinking long term. I've got a, some strong ones on this point that I would like to use, but I think I'm going to back off on a couple of them. But, you know, when you were young and you were pulling through in and out all the time, eating burgers and fries and drinking shakes, and you can do that up to a point. But if you're thinking long term not the best for you, right? And at some point in your growth, <laughs> growth, uh, somebody might mention it to you. You got to think a little more critically about what you eat and the intake because you are what you eat. And long-term thinking is way better for you in your health department. How's that? That's a pretty simple one. We can all relate to that. I think of the two teenagers to decide one night they're going to go park out on Lover's Leap or Happy Hill or whatever it is. <laughs> and there's a lot of short-term thinking going on that could produce a long-term disaster. Because the consequences of your decision are going to come later. And, and the payment may be way, way higher than you want to make. It's going to affect families for generations. Hello? You know what I'm saying. So a bad decision is any decision based solely on the short term. You're not thinking longer term. You're not thinking about the consequence of the action enough. I'm not saying you can't make a quick decision at times or that a short term decision cannot be made. I'm just saying that don't base it solely on what it means just today. Because you generally live to regret it, even if it's just the next day. Hmm? Or in the next few minutes. I'm, I'm not accustomed to being down by the beach, but I was down Manhattan Beach one time. You know, find a parking place, you got to have a bag of quarters. I mean, I just didn't realize that, you know, that there's no place to park unless it's a meter. And so I'm the kind of cheapskate that drives around the block 80 times looking for somebody to pull out and hoping there's 15 minutes left on their meter. Or looking at all the meters and seeing which one isn't red. Pull in quick. I know you do it too, but... But in that, in that short-term thinking, you might go, I'll just park right here just for a second. I know it's breaking the rules, and it's probably, maybe, and you come out and the ticket's on your windshield, 
I mean, that's short-term thinking. Bar a quarter. <laughs> the funnier one was Jane and I were at Washington, D.C. We are on the mall. I was so absolutely out of my mind excited about being there that I was going to show him where the Washington Monument was and the Lincoln Memorial. And have you, how many of you have been to the, there? And this is a great story, isn't it? For, it was an amazing story. I didn't realize that it's a mile from the Capitol building to the Washington Monument and a mile from the monument to the Lincoln Memorial. I had no idea. I just, you know, you go out there, it looks like they're right next to each other. And so I pull into this parking meter, and, I mean, there's parking police everywhere. They are on it. And it's a $50 ticket like that for 60 seconds over. And I reach in my pocket, short-term thinking. All I got is 50 cents. I got... I, and I go, I'm just so excited. I said, we'll just put this in here and we'll buy 30 minutes, I think it was. And uh, let's go. Well, we're jogging, you know, between down to the link. There it is. Look, quick, let's go. Look, quick, look, quick, look, quick. We, you know, I'm like this. I'm saying, poor Jaden. You know, this is your tour of Washington, D.C., your nation's capital. And uh, fortunately, the, the, the Washington Monument wasn't open. We couldn't go up there because that probably would have taken all the time. <laughs> Not have got a ticket on the way down or something. But anyway, short-term thinking. The beauty of that story is we jog up the Lincoln Memorial steps. We get to the top, and I go, quick, look around. You know? <laughs> I'm read, trying to read the, you know, the, the stuff that's carved in the walls and like this. And I turn, and I look up, and 10 feet away from me, is Matthew Schaefer, Gary Bonnie's son. I go, wow. I look around, there's Gary and Bonnie. So I walk over, to, excuse me, he goes, oh! And I am thinking, how many people live in this nation? 250 million people. All of us are 3,000 miles away from home. And I've got two minutes. I'm watching it. I got two minutes to say hello. This is uncanny. They had just gotten off a tour bus, or the bus had dropped off, and you had just walked up. And I thought, what are the odds? And so we grabbed somebody and said, quick, take our picture. I still have it on my fridge. I said, sorry, we got to go. I mean, now I'm, I'm a mile away from my car with 12 minutes left on the meter or something, and I'm thinking, I could have just asked somebody for a quarter. Short-term thinking. I had such an opportunity, and I, we blew it. I blew it. Poor Jaden. Good thing he was in better shape than me. <laughs> a bad decision, number four, is anything based on speculation. What comes to your mind when you, with the word speculation? What was that? Wall Street. Wall Street. Speculation. I guess we don't have to elaborate too far on number four. Maybe just throw up the last year as an example. Now, speculation isn't all bad. It's just that you have to have a contingency plan in case your speculation is wrong. Some of you guys are owner builders or contractors and you do spec houses and spec building. It's speculation building. Spec houses, they call them, right? 
and that you're basing, you're speculating that I'm going to go through this process of a construction loan and do all the stages and get it done and pay myself during the process so that when it's done, I've got people walking through it and it'll sell. I'm speculating that there's a buyer somewhere on the planet that wants this house when I'm finished with it and the market goes and the stock market goes like and the iras go gone and the keos are disappearing and people's futures have just been taken away from them in, in less than a year. And we're facing that even now, right? We're in it. And it's speculation without a contingency plan. Don't do things on speculation just believing somehow it'll all work out just fine. And if you've been through the whole uh, discovery class with us, otters and beavers and gold retrievers and lions, then you know that the otter's phrase is, trust me, it'll all work out. <laughs> and, and there are a large population of otters in the planet. And so there are, there's this propensity in us to go, oh, we'll just do this and it'll be fine. And it doesn't always come out fine. So don't make decisions based solely on speculation without having a good plan. Number five, a bad decision is anything based on emotions. And I would tend to think that in, as we've talked already, acting in fear or frustration or anger or sadness, depression, those are wrong places to be making a decision. And you're driven by emotion. Throw it over to the other side. How about if you're just absolutely happy? Giddy happy. That's an emotion. And happiness is temporal, isn't it? Comes and goes, comes and goes. And if you're just making your decision based on emotionalism, it may not produce good long-term results. There's, a, there's an acronym called HALT. Maybe you've heard of it. Have you heard this? HALT. Don't make decisions when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, or when you're tired. You might want to write that down. You can forget everything else. You can remember that. Halt! I'm about to make a life-changing decision. Am I hungry? Go eat. Am I angry? Don't do it. Am I lonely? Elijah, the prophets of Baal. I'm the only prophet left. Ooh. Tired. Not good times. Use the counselor of sleep. How do you make good decisions? That's what we want to know. We've talked about what they are. We're talking about bad decisions. How do you make a good decision? Let me give you something that you might not have think, thought of. How about starting here? Father, I repent for all the bad decisions I've made. I'm repenting of making bad decisions. Say, was that scriptural? There's a little book in the Bible called Jonah. And Jonah made a bad decision. God called him, said, I need you to go over here and minister to a city of 120,000 heathen. <clears throat> they weren't even Israelites. They were the other guys. Jonah, I want you to go over there and preach to them. I'm concerned about the city. And Jonah said, I'm going on a cruise. Whoa. I'm sorry. Has anybody got tickets? <clears throat> I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to outrun God. I think I'm going to make a decision not to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go do what I want to do. I'm going to outdistance God. I'm going to run. Bad decision. When does he get to repent? Well, when he's on the first all-undersea air-conditioned submarine ride. <laughs> he's sitting down inside the great fish with, the Bible says, he's praying. I've got weeds around my neck. I'm down here in this the pits of the earth, and and, and I'm... I'm a fool. And he's repenting. 
of a bad decision. In verse chapter 2, verse 8 of Jonah, says, he says this, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. I, I, I chased off to my own lying vanity, and I've forsaken, in some Bibles, the mercy is with a capital M, which means it's God. I'm talking about God, the name for God, if you will. He is mercy. I went off doing my own thing, and I forsook mercy. I forsook God. And he's repenting. God, that's me. I did it. I'm down here. This is bad. I ask you to forgive me. And in the next verse, he's on the beach. Repenting for bad decisions is a good idea. It's biblical. God, would you forgive us the time, the resources, my own and even others that I've wasted, the years that have gone by because of the series of bad decisions I've made. I'm looking for one good decision to turn all of them around. Father, forgive me for my bad decisions. Number two, check your core values against the scriptures. And I'm meaning from the very basic decisions that we have to make to the most difficult decisions. We make them using a trusted value-based process. I said earlier that if your core values are settled and they're screened by the Word of God, then 95% of the work is done. You know, it's the Ten Commandments. It's the lists and the epistles. I'm not of this. I'm of this. This has been put away. This has been put on. I put off the old man. I put on the new man. You know, we put away lying and anger and all those things. And we put on love and faithfulness and goodness. And these are now our virtues. These are our core values. Check them again. Check yours against the word. And if there's any place where there's a variance, get rid of yours and mine. If we have a standard... You know, and how, how, we don't have to look far, farther than our own nation that if you take the standard away, things go bad. We decide to take the Ten Commandments off the walls. We, we take prayer out of the schools. We take all the, the moral structures down and say it has to be more pluralistic and more general. We can't offend anybody. Well, we're offending everyone because the whole thing's going proverbial hell in a handbasket. Because there's nothing to hold us as a nation. So check how to make good decisions. Check your core values against the scripture. If you've got a standard code and you have a heart that's been formed by the Holy Spirit and is responsive to Him, this will produce for you guidance. Number three, here's something you can do in actuality. You can take out your pencil, your pen, and write down the risks and the benefits of the decision you're about to make. These are the risks. These are the benefits. And then go show your list to two or three of your friends. The Bible says there's safety in the multitude of counselors. Let me read to you from Proverbs. I'm just going to peel through a few of them here. Proverbs chapter 11. Verse 14. Where there's no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. Across the page, 1215. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. 1310, next chapter. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. 1522. Without counsel, plans go awry. 
but in the multitude of counselors they are established. Chapter 20. This is the book of wisdom, correct? Proverbs, book of wisdom. Chapter 20, verse 18. Plans are established by counsel, by wise counsel, wage war. And then 24 and verse 6. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Show your risks and benefits and your concept of the decision you're going to make to a few trusted counselors. They can be your multitude of counsel. I'll tell you what will happen a lot of times, and somebody came to me after the service last night to confirm this. You write those things down, and then I say, you know, I'm going to go see the Benedettis and share this with them and see if they're going to help me, and see if they'll help me make a decision on this. I get about halfway there, and I'm looking at my list, and I'm going, I don't even have to give them this list. I already know what they're going to say. This is a bad decision. Just that one thing can check you. If you can get it more than halfway there and say, you know, I'm not sure. I really am not. But writing it out, looking at the risks and benefits and saying, is this good or not? You'll come to some conclusions. And if not, then go to the multitude of counselors. I had a man in the service last night that said he had done this in the last month. He said, I was making some decisions, and they were really big ones. And I wrote them. I did what you said. I actually wrote these things down, and I was coming to see you. I said, really? How awesome is that for me? What a flattering thing. He said, but I never came because on the way, I realized this is a bad decision. I'm just trying to look for somebody that will go rah, rah, do it. And if I go to a good counselor, a good friend, a good wisdom-filled person, a person who judges by scriptures, then they're going to say, no, that's a bad idea. Do I want to hear no? Oftentimes we make those decisions, right? First Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is taken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful with every temptation that comes. He'll give you a door of escape. Right? How many of you have done this? Temptation. Door of escape over here. You glance over and go, oh, I wish I hadn't seen that. (laughs) And off you go. You go, maybe there's another. I'll just ignore that. Maybe there's another door later. I'll just, you know, I'm spiritual. And you fall to the temptation, right? The door is there. Take it. Decision-making, the counselors, multitude of wisdom is a good door to use. Number four, trust the Lord who lives within you. If you're living a spiritual life, I like Armin Gesswein on this. He says everything's spiritual if you are. Everything's spiritual if you are. The Holy Spirit lives within. We opened our hearts. We said, Jesus, come in. Jesus said, if you open your heart, the Father and I will come and take up our abode inside of you. God dwells within. God's not always off in the universe somewhere. He's very close. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always with us. And when we go to make a decision, uh, for example, when the Council of Elders meets, or in any meeting you might have in your lighthouse groups, and you, you start with prayer and you say, now God, speak with us. Be in us. Let the you in us begin to deliberate among us and let us come up with what you want. We're looking for Holy Ghost synergy. You know, the world's big on synergy. Have collaborations and lots of meetings and people in those collaborations because if you get three people together, they all come with their own idea, but by the time you're done talking, you might come up with two or three things you hadn't thought of on your own. It's called synergy. You know, where the results are greater than the sum of the individual parts. You had God into the center of that. Say, God of the universe, all wisdom, all knowledge, everything is in Him, and He lives in me. Then turn Him loose. 
Trust Him. That in the conversations you're having as a spiritual person, in the prayer times you're working in together, that He will present His solution and His decisions. There's a, a good judge for this. Colossians 3.15, and some of you use the Amplified Bible. I'm going to read this verse to you in the Amplified Version because I really like it best. But what is it we tell people when they're asking about making a big decision? Here's one of the things we often check in with. Do you have peace? Is there peace? We're not just saying, are you in a tranquil state? We're saying, do you have soul peace inside? Here's this verse, Colossians 3.15. And let the peace, soul harmony, which comes from Christ, Rule and act as umpire continually in your hearts. Deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds in that peaceful state to which as members of Christ's one body you were also called to live and be thankful. Let the peace of God act as the umpire. This afternoon there's going to be some guys with black and white shirts and whistles and they're the umpires aren't they? They're out on the field with the players. And every now and then, they throw a little flag in the air and they blow their whistle. And we wait to see what the call is and it's face mask, 15 yards. And the manager comes off the bench and the quarterback's screaming at the ref. That's a bad call! But you know what? It's the final call. Because the referee has the final call. Let the umpire of peace bring the final call when you're making a great decision for God. Is there peace? Do I have that soul peace? Hey, listen, it could be the eye of the storm in a hurricane. The world can be just raging around you. Things can be flying apart at the seams. And you can stand or kneel or sit or lay down and go to sleep and say, I have soul peace. It's from God. Everything else is falling apart. But I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. Peace. Trust God who lives within you. When you make those decisions, believe he will lead and follow him. Number five, let your decision stand. To make a good decision, you have to act at some point. And when you do, a lot of our mistakes are when we second guess ourselves. We make the decision, then we start vastly. Oh, wow, did I? Oh, maybe I, oh, uh, no, maybe. uh, You just make everybody crazy around you. Don't cave into the pressure to change because there's people that disagree with your decision. They might even want you to regret your decision. Make your decision based on these things and God will reinforce. And if your decision is wrong, God knows that. And he can change it. Not just change circumstances or come in. He will do all these things supernaturally, of course. But he can rearrange it so it comes out right. Romans 8, still in my Bible, says all things work together for the good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And I say, Lord, I'm making this decision. And, and you can turn it around right. If I'm doing it wrong, I yield it to you. But I'm going to trust that this is everything I can do to get to this decision. All these things I put in place... And even Psalm 15, there's a little psalm that says, who's going to ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who's going to dwell in the place of the Most High? Who's going to be with God? And verse 4, it says, the man that swears 
to his own hurt is included. What does that mean in this context? It means that there are times when you make decisions that don't come out in your favor and it hurts you. It takes something away from you. You wouldn't have volunteered it in the beginning had you known. But it went against you. And you say, well, it's okay. I'm going to dwell in the high place. It's better for somebody else. It's not good for me, but it's better for them. Be blessed in Jesus' name. I'm going to live through this. It's going to be okay. God's on the throne. I made the decision. I'm sticking with it even if it hurts me. Luke 9.62, Jesus said, The man that comes into the kingdom puts his hand to the plow, right? And what happens if he looks back? He becomes unfit. Don't become unfit in your decision making. Don't decide and then vacillate. Let your decision stand. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3 and we'll close. Proverbs chapter 3. I really hope that we have some great prayer and discussion and conversation in our lighthouses this week based on this. I really do. Because we're coming into a a year of decision making for everybody. There's a lot of things coming down the road that we have to make decisions on. And wouldn't it be great just to know you're making good decisions all the time? Am I saying they're all going to come out in your favor? Well, that's my prayer, 100%. But if one goes to your hurt, you just move into Psalm 15, say, I'm living in in the high place. Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Flip over to chapter 16, verses 1, 2, and 3. The preparations of the heart belong to men, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the spirits. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. These are some great foundations for making good decisions. Amen? Right here. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you will grant to us an ability to bring these pieces into our lives. Lord, I know it's not exhaustive. It's a portion But Lord, would you grant this portion to us like a small meal and let it become beneficial to us, body, soul, and spirit. God, I pray that it will add core to us, that it will add value to us, that it will make us more like you. Father, that in our decision-making throughout this coming year, we will look through these processes halt when it's necessary. And we will not be hasty or fearful, but we will trust in you. Come to life in us in our decision-making processes so that all of our decisions will bring glory and honor to you and do the most benefit for us and those around us. Help us to live beyond ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And I know that some of you today, listen, some of you, your team's not going to win. And so I'm, I'm sorry for you already. But I hope whatever you're eating is a great thing, you know, because that's a big part of it.